Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the philatelist's dream of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who are still reading Minute Owl as Minute Owl. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I really enjoyed that you put your own personal stamp on each of these intros. (laughs) Just trying to send it along. I'm feeling personally attacked to have that one brought up again, but yeah. (laughs) Still true. Still worth it as minute out. <laughs> I was. It, it was a, really a beacon on the page for me, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> Although you should have heard me walking around my house this afternoon trying to remember how to pronounce philatelist um, without sounding like an idiot. So Kudos. we wasn't even going to try. We all learned something. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to say uh, one of my friend's parents had a business for a while selling stamps and his name is phil (laughs) so it it really helped um but amusingly instead of like leaning into it uh he leaned a completely different direction with the business name geezers tweezers (laughs) i feel like there's a lot to unpack here (laughs) that man had choices in his life and decided to go with the veer right version of them (laughs) So we are here on chapter three of book four of Harry Potter. The chapter is titled The Invitation. Um, and we are in a classic early chapter of Harry Potter after a, a weird uh, veer right, speaking of, in the first chapter of this book. Um, yes. Back at the Dursleys, everything's going oddly. Um, but we have some segments that we do here on this podcast. We have a rapid fire recap. Uh, we have BJ's wizard wheezes. We have um, newbies notes with Spencer and BJ. We award house points, and then there are questions and queries, which cannot possibly exist related to this chapter. I actually have one that I'm not going to save until the end. I will put it up front. We have segments for what, this exact purpose, BJ. What dastardly people! quarter a grapefruit and then eat it with a spoon no fair i i, se- I second this question, this question addressed it now sarah we we've relied on a certain element of realism attached to the harry potter universe and this is just so thoroughly shattered it i don't know if i'd be able to pick it up again. this is the it most unbelievable no part of any of these stories how how do you quarter this grapefruit and then eat do it you, with a spoon do, i do don't you know cut it from the top in quarters, or do you cut it in half, you know, sort of width-wise that you would normally eat it with a spoon, right. and then cut that in half, like like some kind of deranged person? <laughs> like, what, where where is this cutting going, and has J.K. Rowling never eaten a grapefruit? It is, it is possible that she has never seen a grapefruit in the world before. Um, I choose to believe that instead they peeled the grapefruit quartered it and are eating it with a fork and knife unfortunately it distinctly says <laughs> so there is no that... textual information to back this up but i'm just trying to live in the world bj <laughs> uncle you know vernon me. does eat it with a spoon well maybe that's Sarah, a personal you know, problem a... <laughs> you knew bj was gonna be a strict textualist when it came to going through food related <sighs> I, 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 i'm very much amused that your line in the sand is food related when it comes to this series <laughs> 
it just I, I don't know why it struck me as so insane but it was just the weirdest thing <laughs> nope I'm with you well Sarah if you can somehow recover from this just swerve right that PJ gave us can you start us off with a recap well wait a second I want to go back to this for just a second because okay. I am looking at the line with the spoon and I, I'm actually just wondering if there is a different reference to a second reference to the spoon that happened because the one that I am seeing is that Uncle Vernon gave a great and granted this is right after we discussed the grapefruit but the one that I am seeing is that Uncle Vernon gave a great sigh which ruffled his large bushy mustache and picked up his spoon that spoon does not have to be used for that grapefruit yes but just afterwards it says Dudley sold the rest of Uncle Vernon's grapefruit yes but he could have been wow. eating it some other way. He could have been stirring his coffee with the spoon. Uh, it'd be weird because there's the teapot on the table. But he could be stirring I, his tea with the spoon. I will I will allow that that is a possibility, but 100% not. that is not what is happening in this topsy-turvy universe that is the Wizarding World Well, and adjacent United Kingdom. Owls flying and carrying postcards? Fine. People riding brooms to compete in world tournaments? Sure, easy. Quartered grapefruits? <laughs> My god, man. Okay, are we ready for the recap? <laughs> did you even get to finish segments before BJ interrupted with that? I don't know. We, we do did. segments, we, it's we fine. We finished with the questions and queries and quibbles and quarrels. Okay. And I had some that were queued up. Hmm. Alright. Sarah... We do a recap on this. Mm -hmm. It is timed to add extra competition and challenge for you. Yes. Um, uh, two minutes is now the universal standard by which this is done. Do you have a bet, though, for if you're for going any faster? Um, I do, in fact, especially because in these early chapters, mm, things happen, but they're a little thin on the ground. So I am, once again, I believe I'm going to just repeat my bet from last time at 135. The audience is excited. Let's see how you Okay. Do you have your um, regular old stopwatch, one of many, ready, Spencer? I do. It is so unflashy. I'm disappointed. But yes, I'm ready. So we are back in the presence of the Dursleys, and Dudley is particularly furious. He has, per his school nurse, been put on a diet that is straight out of the 1970s and is taking it out on everyone around him. And now Petunia has dictated that everyone has to follow the diet. Unbeknownst to them all, though, Harry has put out the May Day and was rewarded with giant packages of fiddles from everyone from Hagrid to Mrs. Weasley, so he can eat his grapefruit in peace and torment Dudley before feasting in his room. During breakfast, the postman rings the doorbell to hand deliver a letter because he can't quite believe how ridiculous it is. Enraged, enraged Vernon pulls Harry into the living room to bellow at him about it. The letter is from Mrs. Weasley asking, very politely, I might add, if Harry can come and stay with them for the rest of the holidays and attend the final of the Quidditch World Cup. There are a few things in this letter that seem tailor-made to set Vernon off. Harry having friends, Quidditch, the magical Department of Magical Games and Sports, and sending a reply in the, quote, normal way. But the real kicker is the postscript, quote, I do hope we've put enough stamps on. The envelope is actually, is absolutely chock a block full of stamps. After some internal wrangling, Vernon decides that Harry can go, given his, that his desire to have him out of the house is greater than his wish to make him miserable. After saying some very unkind things about Mrs. Weasley, Vernon sets Harry free to send his reply, at least after Harry mentions he's writing a letter to Sirius, but the Weasleys have to come pick Harry up. 
Harry returns to his room to Pig, Ron's owl courtesy of Sirius, and a letter from Ron explaining the situation, including pickup time, Hermione's arrival, and Percy's new position in the Department of International Magical Cooperation. He dashes off a reply and sends both owls out on their separate missions. He ends his very eventful morning eating birthday cake. Uh, one minute, 35 seconds, and 57 tips. Ooh. Right on point. Two points for you. Excellent. Thank you very much. So um, that's all clear, and we have nothing else to talk about here, right? Okay, right. <laughs> well, the episode can end now, and we're all good. Yeah, wonderful time with y'all. Uh, Till next time. Or uh, next week we have... <laughs> BJ, what are you wheezing about? Uh, besides grapefruit, which you've already done, so um, choose choose your spots here, BJ. <laughs> and clearly the past sense of wheezes was. So I just wanted to bring up that swatty is a real word. And not one that I had come across before. Can you give us the context in this chapter, BJ? Uh, I can. So it is um, Uncle Vernon basically talking about how Dudley being not the brightest or sharpest tool in the shed um, was kind of happy about this vaguely because he didn't want some swatty little Nancy boy (laughs) for a son anyway. And it's spelled S-W-O-T-T-Y. Um, Spencer, for some reason, um, from now on, I'm going to call you Swatty Pants because it is... Uh, I embrace this happily. So SWAT is to study assiduously um, or a person who studies hard. And um, I think this is... We're going to try and make this a Mangum Talks wide thing. Um, I think Terry will take up this mantle as well. It's amazing how fast your identity can change in this particular friend group, but I, I embrace this new one happily. Um, but yeah, I, I'm always happy when, when I come across a new word, and uh, I don't know that I will actually ever use it in a sentence other than maybe calling Spencer swatty pants every so often, but it did really amuse me um, that it is in here. I just... I curious whether it's a little bit more british vernacular i think it's um, i think it's very british i have never heard this outside of a kind of d- d- english specifically english context yeah i mean i guess it's even though i have consumed a reasonable amount of english media it's not in that media mm-hmm. to be fair a lot of that's tv shows and movies which it might just not quite make it into sure um yeah so we dealt with the grapefruit um it's as spencer mentioned uh in the past it is entertaining to see that we do have different signatures um i will say that molly weasley's is amusingly deranged um (laughs) and messy Uh, and i i do thoroughly appreciate that um and it's also really nice to see that um we, we, we continue along with the, uh, the brand of uh, our owls. Hedwig continues to, to be a sizist, um, <laughs> and I wonder if it's the gray of the small owl that, that she is very upset about. Um, and also, you know, very haughty and prim and proper. Um, if, if she were in a, a different setting, uh, she probably would have been one of the founders. <laughs> Oh, Lord. We're also at a point of where I, I was briefly concerned this was going to be a different series and the Hedwig was just going to straight up eat the small owl who got too close <laughs> to her cage. Um, and also, I want to say that there's nothing affectionate about Thank birds you. nipping 
at anything, and that is another clear thing where I doubt that that J.K. Rowling has ever seen birds from anything but afar. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Probably, probably not. I do want to highlight right now, since we have been on kind of mm, interesting words in the world. In I think it's next chapter we find out the full name of Pig the Owl, which is Pigwidgeon. Oh, I'm somehow disappointed. I really just hoped it was just Pig. Yes, we find out that Ron let Jenny name the owl, and she came up with this, which Ron does not particularly enjoy in the world, and has started calling him Pig. For you two who have a better command of the English language than I do, is Pigwidgeon a word? Um. I mean, there's command of the English language, and then there's highlighting things in my Kindle and seeing what comes up. So <laughs> you could have bluffed, um, me, BJ. You could have bluffed. The first thing that I comes up have, on but... the oh, wait a second, hold on, the Collins Dictionary. I, I didn't want to uh, misrepresent uh, things that, that I know and things that I don't. All of the first results for Pigwidgeon on the internet are Harry Potter related, but then you get to the Collins Dictionary. Um, oh, which says that Pigwidgeon, which is spelled P-I-G-W-I-D-G-E-O-N, but can also be spelled P-I-G-W-I-G-G-I-N, which is very funny to me, uh, is a simpleton, contemptible, insignificant, or petty person, creature, or object, especially a fairy, dwarf, imp, or elf. Okay, it's appropriate, but I, again, I think I'm going to want the Weasleys to start attending a course on better treatment of owls if they're naming these. Things, they're naming their new owl this. Yeah, not ideal. Well, anything, anything further in terms of language or wordplay for us, BJ? Uh, not in this uh, chapter, which is a little disappointing because. Maybe the next chapter will still have some, but it seems like the first couple of chapters are where uh, entertaining wordplay happens, and the last the last uh, handful of chapters is where entertaining punctuation happens. Well, I will say that you only have... So two chapters from now, BJ, is actually where the namesake of your segment comes up. Yeah. So you can at least... All this time. <laughs> you at least have... At the very least have that to look forward to. I, I am excited. Um, so on to Newbie's Notes. Uh, it's impressive, having read you know, three of these books now, that I'm able to pick up certain warning signs. Anyone who didn't have prior knowledge of Harry Potter wouldn't necessarily see this light, funny, heartwarming, cheery chapter as anything other than what it is. But for me, based on prior conditioning and pain, I see this as the biggest flashing warning sign we've ever had in the series. <laughs> it's too happy. Again... Everything is right in the world. It's almost like aggressively trying to correct even the remaining injustices that are still in Harry's life. It's just based on the prior trends and J.K. Rowling's, you know, tendency towards aggressive rubber banding when it comes, oh, a character's doing well, let's snap back at 500 miles an hour in the opposite direction. I don't know what can happen in the next chapter to balance things out, but it's not going to be good. Particularly, I, I, mm -hmm. I, to, to tack on to that, I wonder how often this happens because... It seems very um, on brand is like the last sentence is, oh, and don't forget Lord Voldemort. <laughs> I mean, given that we opened the book with Lord Voldemort plotting to use the World Cup as cover for some nefarious action, presumably murder because he needs one more. We already know that. And yeah, BJ, with that last line. That is the most brazen act of taunting, but that's the kind of thing in Greek mythology where furies just instantaneously start pecking at your hair the moment you say it. That The level of hubris 
a lack of understanding of how the jinx gods work in our spiteful world is just apparent in Harry right there. Because he's simultaneously inviting ruin upon his house, while at the same time J.K. Rowling's aggressively pushing the foreshadowing button, button, button as hard as she can. Yeah. And I, know, I, I, sorry. I was going to say, this also sort of makes me wonder, um, and I, I don't, I doubt this will be addressed, but everybody like is weirdly hush hush about saying Voldemort. It seems like a much more entertaining thing to have done is just call him Tom. Like <laughs> Harry knows, Dumbledore knows, and it's just like, you know, take the air out of him. And, and so to have this very like ominous way of referring to him being this, I mean, it's not foreshadowing, obviously, because foreshadowing would re- require something looming that is casting a shadow as opposed to, here's the big bad, don't forget about him. Yeah, this is more like speak of the devil and there he is kind of thing, and just in terms of, you've directly invited it into your home now. But moving on from there, uh, of course it was Molly Weasley that sent the letter. Of course it was. And the stamp thing is so endear- endearing. She's just the nicest, warmest character in the series and the mob figure that Harry desperately needs but does not have. Though I'm left to wonder how the heck she got the stamps, given her other lack of understanding of anything about the muggle world. Me, I don't know. We can ponder that in questions. I have questions. I would bet that, that the... Uh postal service that that there already is for sending owls probably also sells stamps i i would like to believe that mr weasley wheedled his way into molly allowing him to go to the post office to buy stamps oh that was his best day of the month ever getting to go to the post office and wait in line and buy stamps i how so many that, friends do you tell that story about? Probably not what happened. He probably went up to a mailbox and started trying to talk to it and was really confused when it did not answer back. <laughs> the flexible understanding that these guys have of how the muggle world works is consistently entertaining. Um, in terms of other things that are, of course, of course, Burton reads the Daily Mail. I am not surprised <laughs> at all. Yep. Well, it isn't uh, the Daily Mail. It's just Daily Mail, which is also yeah. interesting. Maybe... Wanted to avoid a lawsuit. <laughs> Is that enough to avoid it? Maybe. Um, how do you feel about the floorboards? Because I guess that, that was the other thing that I could have wheezed about, but I think is more appropriate here. The amount of hidden food in this series never ceases to amaze me and thoroughly is thoroughly amusing. I feel like if Harry was a better wizard, we could explain this as like he has not unlike the trunk of the Ford Anglia, he has expanded the space of his floorboards. Um, but we all know that that's not realistic. I mean, Harry is on the ground floor, right? I mean, no, no, he, has to, he actually has a room. Yeah, he's, up, yeah, he he's upstairs, upstairs, yeah. Yep. Okay, he has no excuse at all. No, there is no there is no place, there is no, you know, hidden space under the floorboards where one can do that up on the second floor of a house. Well, instead of normal, like, blown glass, fiberglass insulation, they're just going to have fruitcake. <laughs> Well, that'll probably keep you warmer than the regular insulation. And, and, and not one either. There's he had, he, the guy gets has gotten four cakes. He's separately storing under the floorboards, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're reaching we're reaching telltale heart dimensions of the object that he's got <laughs> hidden under the floorboards of his room now. It um, is thoroughly amusing, like what each of the characters sent him. Mm-hmm. I mean, very on brand mm-hmm. and very appropriate, um, but also a little weird that like the richest person that they know is like, hey, I don't want to eat 
vegetables. Can you send me snacks? <laughs> you know, well, he, Harry again. Sorry. No, go ahead. It's fine. I was just I, all I was going to say is that to be fair, Harry does not have any Muggle money. Although, sure, yeah. presumably he could yeah. exchange some of his wizarding money at Gringotts, but I don't. He also, does not have the foresight to do that. Okay, two, two, uh, three points on that on that little prong you just brought forward. One, gold <laughs> does have numismatic value in the Muggle world. <laughs> You're the only person, Spencer, that, that would use that word, and I love that you did. Yes. Man could exchange what currency he has for other currency in the Muggle world without issue. That's one thing that could occur. Um, point number two, presumably, given that the owls are capable of doing every other damn thing, he could just tape some money to Hedwig's leg and send her off for the purpose of bringing him back something. But... Moving into point three, the most recurring trend in this entire series is that Harry is helpless when it comes to using his own wealth. That is true. Which is kind of fascinating. I wonder, well, we can save that for the next part. Um, The the other thing that I sort of wanted to to note as a newbie, with the new canon that I've mostly accepted, that Harry is a complete jock and (laughs) uh, looks back on all of the people that he bullied and was unpleasant to when he was a jock in high school as he's just making the the uh circumstances of the fat people that they he made fun of into oh they were terrible people when he's retelling (laughs) the story and because clearly his did that half a grapefruit fill you up because i'm i'm very happy now (laughs) it's not the mark of somebody who is cowering in fear. <laughs> I, I'm going to enjoy if the way that uh, being overweight in this universe works is that if one person loses weight, the other one has to gain it. If we see so- a sudden weight shift in different directions with Dudley and Harry as the series goes on, where he starts transitioning to the fat bastard by the time we're done, <laughs> don't think it's going to happen, but you know. Well, something will happen uh, with Dudley's weight. We will We will see. Yeah, discussing the weight thing, just we can go to that now... Um, as you said, this is a very 1970s, I want to lose weight now and future health health issues are actually keeping the weight off be damned kind of diet. Mm-hmm. They are going straight on cold turkey when it comes to food. When this kid, given his drug-like obsession with food, is in desperate need of some food equivalent of methadone. They need to dial him down. There needs to be a process attached to this for this to actually work. I suspect it's going to work in defiance of all logic anyway in the series. Um, but... More realistically, this would be a more gradual process with something to fill fill the cavernous void that is inside this kid. Uh, One thing that does surprise me about Vernon, though, I'm still consistently caught off guard just how willfully unpleasant and spiteful he is. It's like, this costs you nothing. But, as Harry summarized, one of the most active prongs in his brain is Harry can't be happy. Mm -hmm. Harry being happy makes me unhappy. And that's just a level of willful malevolence that still just catches me off guard. Yes, the unpleasant jock was always persecuted in his home life and needs to rewrite everybody's motivations so they fit with that narrative. BJ, no one is going to read your fan fiction. I just want to tell you this now. I know you're ambitious with it, but no one's going to read this. I'm just telling you that that is a not inactive theory on the internet. That's okay, we're t- noted, BJ, but I will start muting you if this continues. <laughs> uh, it's one, one, We've been discussing how reality works in this universe. One of the most surprising bits of reality we now get in book four is that the rest of the world actually looks, as, looks at Deadly like he's the piece of shit we knew he was. 
Yeah, we are getting we are getting independent verification of some of this. Yeah, and we did have some of that before with the schooling. Yeah, I think that was sort of one of the reasons that he kind of ended up in a private school. Mm -hmm. But now even the like exorbitantly expensive private school is indicating that there might be a problem. That means there's a real problem. Yeah. And they're shooting with a shotgun, too. It's not like, you know, you need to boost his grades up. It's like, no, he's actively failing, and he's bullying other rich kids whose parents are going to complain to us, and he's a killer whale of a child. Do something about this, damn it. But the other side of it is he probably, if it's actually a rich, prestigious private school, is in with people that should be there, and he sort of got in because... Presumably, his dad sort of scraped by with the most recent pay bump and can get him in now. Well, he's, he's also um, alumni, right? Yeah, his dad went there. Yeah. So he, he's got that kind of family connection, easy, easy way to get mm-hmm. in. That's true. Uh, uh, Harry's relative standing in this family has just done such a shocking swerve, or at least, you know, growth since where we began this series, that essentially... The role that he's now in, or at least the role that the Dursleys would be more comfortable with him being in, is nothing more than a facade. He's openly... I mean, they're happier with the notion that he's eating less than Dudley at all times, regardless of how minimal Dudley's eating. They mm-hmm. still view him as, as... They still ignore him and view him as the lesser member. But let's review. He's openly surly and openly challenging when he's talking with them now. And even pretty much threatening. I mean, there's still an element of implication about it, but... He still pretty much said, I have a murderer godfather on call that I can bring in if we need to discuss this further. Well, so Harry resorts to murder, like, immediate. That's his, like, first thought in dealing with these people, because... <laughs> his one card. The first time, like, he, he started along this path was, I can kill you with my magic. Yes. And then they found out that wouldn't work. He's like, well, I can have somebody else do it for me. Right, and and you read about him in the daily, and you read about him in the Daily Mail, so you know he's real. Exactly. Um, so we'll start there, which is again very much a shift in the power balance has occurred with that alone. Point number two: first story, everybody had forgotten his birthday, and the only cake that he eventually got was one that a giant set on and had to be delivered to him cross country far late after the fact. Mm-hmm. Now cakes are just showing up at his window. Owl delivered four different kinds, at least three of which are vaguely edible. So do you think it's a cake per book? <laughs> to balance out the lack of cakes he's had previously? Yeah, so next book we'll get five cakes, because <laughs> presumably somebody else is willing to send him one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, hey, this is a fun read. Hey, it also gives us the opportunity to debate if, if each of these cakes is a stand-in for a book, which book, which cake is representing which book. Oh, boy. We actually don't get the descriptions of the cakes, do we? Not, uh, not the birthday them. cakes, but the other... Um... The other vittles, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the other vittles that arrive. I forgot, this man has a lot of different goods that are now coming to him through the window. Um, He's getting letters from people that love and care about him constantly, including they're inviting him to spend time with them that he never otherwise had, doing, like, even working hard to arrange space for him in what they openly describe as a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Hell of a transition from having to beg and plead to even get to go to the zoo back in book one. And then finally, yeah, as said previously, he also has a direct connect to people that would quite likely murder for him. Not just, you know, this is an, ad, it's an idle threat and they think he's a murderer. I'm still pretty convinced that Sirius Black would just kill somebody if Harry asked. I don't think you're wrong on that front, Spencer. <laughs> it's a messed up relationship, but you know, good for Harry. So 
man, the guy has come a long way from book one, and I'm curious to see if it keeps progressing further, or, as said, we get the bit of the rubber band effect at work when it comes to this. So instead of just Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin, and oh yes, there are Hufflepuffs, is Dudley their own house that that they can, like, receive and and have points taken away from them? (laughs) Just the Dursleys. I think they merit it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, just to wrap up a few other last points, uh, I love Molly Weasley's signature. It is loopy and straightforward and happy in ways I would have thought her to be. Adding, <laughs> adding that to my scrapbook and increasing the amounts of signatures we have in Harry Potter. Uh, Pig and Ron. And Ron too. We already had Rons. So I think I think from a prior book. Uh, Pig is in, now in the competitor for the greatest new character. I'm standing on that hill and happy to die on it. Uh, it's also really funny to me to have Harry Potter of all people call out the names in this book as being unrealistic and weird. <laughs> <laughs> we've, taken, we've taken a long time to get to that point, but I'm glad to have it actually happen. Uh, some things also... I'm, I'm glad, though, that we do get some undercurrents that remain the same throughout the series, including my favorite, that Percy is just an utterly insufferable human in whatever he is doing. Now that he has a job, of all things, it is equally unpleasant to actually associate with him with regards to it. We get a, we and, get a lot of Percy in this book, so buckle up, guys. Oh, uh, I'm... I'm excited, and BJ may rage quit right now. And BJ, as you noted earlier on, the last line is so utterly brazen that it is practically summoning dark spirits with how it's with how it's working. Clearly, bad things are going to happen in the next chapter, and I don't know if excited is the right word to say it. This, this right word for my uh, feelings on them, but uh, fully apprehensive. It's. I think this well. is book four. I think you have to wait two or three chapters. I'm guessing because we have a slightly older audience that may be able to remember things it's true it's true they can actually remember foreshadowing from more than the next immediate chapter <laughs> but it's also harry potter and the last chapter was this chapter was so aggressively happy we can't allow that to stand in the universe too long so sarah as, as i briefly mentioned uh do we have a house dursley and are we awarding or taking away points or is this just a Harry Potter is basically the only person, <laughs> and so he wins and loses? No, I think we are going to do a House Dursley um, this time around. Harry Potter has clearly won this chapter, as as Spencer has so neatly um, outlined all of his all of his wins over the course of this chapter, particularly in relation to other book versions of Harry. Dursleys, I would argue, as a house, they certainly lose, but I think we have some nuance in between the Dursleys. We Mm -hmm. certainly know that Vernon at least got the satisfaction of getting Harry out of the house. So despite all of the other kind of inconveniences and annoyances that he deals with in this chapter, he does get that one small win. Dudley is objectively in a, for him, a miserable situation. Um, However, it might be deserved. (laughs) Unclear. The unspoken possible loser of this chapter is Petunia, who has to deal with Dudley's shit and try to manage this diet. You know, that's actually a really good point. This is kind of the first scenario that she's ever had to face of where she's having to discipline and control her son and actually think out for his well-being rather than his immediate gratification. That's probably a rough U-turn that she's having to make in her life. Yeah, I realize that we, we see her the least out of all three of the Dursleys, in this chapter, but uh, man, I she has got to be struggling, right? Yeah. 
no help from Vernon either. He's he's already directly second guessing her right in front of Dudley too when it comes to this. Yeah, so I don't know. I this might be sort of personal, but I actually feel particularly bad for Petunia in this chapter. I am going to award her the loser of the chapter. Sold. Done. Uh, BJ, do you co-sign this decision? Oh, I co-signed that decision. Um, I was, I was before you started. I was tempted to make the case myself that she is the real loser, mm. um, because yeah, everybody else is either getting something that they want or is willfully oblivious, like uh, Dudley getting the other chunk of grapefruit because that's a enough of a win in his book. Yes, um, but. You aren't going to lobby in favor of uh, Hedwig being the loser for having to continually associate with lesser creatures as part of his job? I think that if I push the Hedwig being a racist too far, Sarah's going to to uh, start yelling at me off by. You, you have two narratives you're currently pushing that are real close to the limit, BJ. <laughs> That's what I figured. Um you two are driving distance away from each other now. There could be repercussions. This is true. <laughs> I can yell at you in um, person, BJ. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but yeah, this is one of the few chapters where Harry gets to have his cake and eat it too. So clear winner. Cosign. Four of them, in fact. Um, all right. So questions, queries, qualms, and quibbles. Uh, question I always have about where wizarding activities take place. Are we led to believe that the World Cup is happening in London, just similar to how other strange wizarding things in London work? It's just hidden behind a wall or outside the immediate eye of uh, muggles everywhere? So it will be in England. It will not um, It will not be in London. It's kind of out. I don't remember if they give a kind of general location or not, but it's kind of out in the middle of the country. And we actually learn um, in the coming chapters, we learn a little bit more about like, how they are keeping it out of the muggle eye. This is from what they're describing, a very big, you know, wizards from around the world coming out there. <laughs> no worries. You thought the World Cup was coming. It, was exciting. it is very um, exciting. <laughs> um, but this is probably the single largest event we've seen take place in the series. Mm-hmm. I will be curious to see how they actively cover it up, because the books, as much as we like to mock them, have taken pains to explain that, no, these wizarding things are happening. They're just actively subject to, you know... Magical spells and obscurement. Yeah, we get a lot of new people in the Ministry of Magic in this book. Um, and particularly, we, we get introduced to them around the World Cup. And so there are like lots of, lots of discussions about kind of the, the massive logistical nightmare that putting this event together and keeping it secret. Um, and, you know, for example, like bringing in witches and wizards from all over the world who have an interest in watching the World Cup, like that's crazy. Um, and they had to figure out how to do it. So we get we get a lot of conversations kind of around that topic in the in the chapters we have coming up. OK, looking forward to it. So is the Quidditch World Cup, you said from around the world, but is this like another thing kind of like cricket was for a while where it's kind of just places that the UK occupied for a while? Um, it was Ireland and who were playing again? <laughs> oh, for the World uh, Cup? It's Bulgaria, I think. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, I guess this is this the wizarding equivalent of that? Because, you know, if you were to mark off places that Wizarding World probably had a similar, mm, let's say, influence on, um, I think Romania, Bulgaria, Ireland, there are some places that that, you know, just sort of 
mm, lean magical and might have had some um, Hogwarts related oppressive overlords. So I have come out to them. <laughs> Lord, well, here, okay, so I have pulled up the um, Harry Potter wiki on the Quidditch World Cup, which has a list of participating teams, um, and I can read those out to you if that will help you make a decision, but I don't, I actually, this is pretty representative, I would say. I did just find out that okay. the Quidditch uh, World Cup was founded in 1473, so there you go. Uh, was it put on hold this year, or do they wear masks? Um, it's not every year. It's yes, it's once every four years, and um, I don't know. I think uh, not unlike the NBA, they are they are playing in a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> also, magic. There's no disease in the Harry Potter universe. Yeah, fair enough. I think Mrs. Madame Pomfrey has the has the cure. Um, no, I, I would say, so just a, a quick, they're in alphabetical order, but we have Argentina, Australia, Bulgaria, Burkina Faso, Brazil, Chad, China, Egypt, England, Fiji, Flanders, France, Germany, India, Ireland, Ivory Coast, um, Jamaica, Japan, Luxembourg, Madagascar, Mexico, Morocco, the Nordic team, Peru, Portugal, Romania, Scotland, Senegal, Spain, Syria, Transylvania, Uganda, United States, Wales, and New Zealand. That is the a very eclectic list. I wonder if J.K. Rowling put it down herself after being like, all right, I'm going to write down every country that I can think of right now. <laughs> you have a minute and a half, go. <laughs> I'm also thoroughly amused that, you know, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland apparently get one team, and Wales gets another. <laughs> also, Burkina Faso gets one? Like, where? <laughs> there's no accounting for where wizards come from, apparently. Or do you have to be born there even to play for that team? Are there just a bunch of snotty, you know, just graduated from Hogwarts uh, <laughs> semi-professionals that just show up in Burkina Faso and go, all right, well, we're your Quidditch team. We, re we really are getting into the NBA territory at this point. <laughs> now, it, as Sarah's made very clear previously, there are other schools in this universe that we theoretically may someday meet. So th there is a cultural center outside of Hogwarts. We just have never seen it yet. I mean, that's fair. That might be other schools, but like, do we do we think Wales has a separate school? No, Wales is the most incongruous entry in that list. <laughs> okay. No, but I do think that they are very clear that they do not want to be part of a United Kingdom um, league. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> All right, uh, we kind of already did this, but Sarah, invent a scenario for us on the fly as to how Molly Weasley got the stamps. Well, I, so I really do. So I think that there are two, there are two possibilities here. Um, I, I think that perhaps, well, I mean, there are a lot of different possibilities. I think what probably actually happened is that um, they sent one of the children into town to get the stamps who can possibly be a little bit less awkward than Mr. Weasley in this scenario and like maybe has some understanding of how muggle money works, despite the fact that he works where he does in the ministry um, in the misuse of muggle artifacts office. However, I do think that Mr. Weasley would have lobbied hard to be the one to go out and procure said stamps, although it might have taken him sort of circuitous route to actually find out how to do so. Um, it is also, I would like to think that these are actually 
potentially charmed or cursed stamps in some way, and he has just oh, smuggled God. them out of the misuse of Muggle Artifacts office. Oh, I was going to say, given the mismatch of the stamps <laughs> in, in the image that we get, there is almost no way that they're all valid. I, I just imagine that like half of them already have posted mar- marks on uh-huh. them, and... The 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 uh, postal worker was just like, I don't know what's going on here, but whatever. It's like just down the road. I have to I have to deliver this anyway. Also, where is their house, and how it, does it exist such that it is not part of the British postal system, which is notorious? I mean, the the house is kind of at the edge of a kind of on the outskirts of a town. Um, I don't know. I mean, I assume that they have just never sent... They they might be a technically a part of the postal system, but they have never sent or received mail and therefore potentially do not believe that the postman would know how to find their house. Uh, there is no way they haven't gotten copies of the Daily Mirror. <laughs> Possibly. It may also be that kind of thing of where they have a house that is on the edge of town when they want muggles to be able to see it. Yes, Fair enough. That, and that's probably the most likely scenario. Yeah. I mean, it, it has been very unclear what the muggle wizard boundary is non-Hogwarts related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At some point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love it if we could actually get like a population estimate for the wizarding world. Because I'm guessing it's relatively small to make a lot of this work. Um, but we don't really have much to go on there yet. Um, yeah. Um, I, I believe that, you know, there's a tangent alley that uh <laughs> connects to some of the other ones that that allows some back and forth but um i don't think that's a a route in the postal service the black cabs though uh do have mm. to memorize it of course yes they, oh my god the black cabs in london probably know all about the wisdom world you know, keeping it to themselves um man that's that'd be a funny scene in a later chapter if they're stuck in the muggle world they don't know what to do and they step, step up to a black cab and just ask and they take he takes them right there <laughs> Uh, are we led to believe that Pig is now actually a new pet of the Dursleys? Uh, not the Dursleys, the Weasleys. Uh, Pig is specifically Ron's owl. Yes. That he let that he let Jenny uh, name. I don't know. Let is a generous term. <laughs> it's his owl. What are you doing, man? <laughs> so Jenny is probably super excited about who gave this owl and therefore uh, helped the naming along. There's. There's a, a bit of a protagonist-centered question right there. Do any other of the Weasleys have pets? Um, or familiars, sorry. Well, so Scabbers was a hand-me-down. Right. Right. Per- the only Ron was holding. Percy has an owl, um, which is how Ron got Scabbers in the first place. Okay. Uh, what about the twins? The twins do not have any. Do not have any pets. They have each other. It wouldn't survive um, long. <laughs> And Jenny does not currently, but I do think she gets something innocuous later, but it's not really discussed very much. Gotcha. And then there's Errol. And then there's Errol, the poor housebird that desperately needs to be taken out to pasture. I mean, so which would you have preferred, Spencer, that uh, Pig take these victuals or that Errol take them? Well, Pig may not have the mass, but he's got the will and the youth, so I think he'd get it done without much of a risk of your owl never coming back and he'd probably from what we've seen really enjoy the process of doing it 
So Errol mostly just needs to be a bird that you wrap into it. You wrap in a nice warm blanket and sit next to the fire and feed him rats on occasion. That's pretty much what Errol's career needs to be. He's earned his bones. Let him rest. Seems reasonable. Um, we'll find out in the next chapter, maybe, if that's his fate. Uh, no, no. I think a, a running joke in this series is going to be the increased suffering that Errol goes through before he eventually snaps and becomes a dark lord. Personal, personal theory. <laughs> this level of abuse that started the ball. Um, but for chapter four, we have Back to the Burrow. Yes. And an interesting picture someone coming through a boarded up fireplace um i believe they have uh they flew there oh ow oh that was actually good but ow still well once again there is no better place to leave these podcasts than on spencer's pain um (laughs) (laughs) this has been fun y'all as always yeah till next time and more pain (laughs) 